the scriptures warn us about being associated with fools, being the companion of fools, about the, the damage that fools can bring. So uh, one that a lot of people might know, whoever walks with the, the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, some proverbs are a little bit uh, more funny, at least to me. Uh, one who sends a fool on an errand, uh, cuts off his own feet and drinks poison. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's the problems that can come with, uh, with fools. Uh, I think, I think those, those same problems are amplified when we are believing in uh, mute idols, when we are following worldly kings, when we are believing in worldly champions, when we are, when we are believing in foolish things, things can, that cannot save, things that cannot deliver, people who cannot help us, then we are, we are going to suffer the harm that comes from that. Even one of the things that, that Samuel says at the end of, of uh, 1 Samuel 12, Samuel says, do not worship these empty things or believe in these empty things. These are, the, he is describing the things of the world, the empty things of the world, the worldly gods, the worldly kings, the worldly champions, the worldly ways of thinking. They are going to bring us to suffering and harm. There is one who can deliver us. It is God. God is able to deliver, whether by many or by few. That's what I hope you'll see today, is that we should avoid the, the leadership of the fool and instead believe in the God who saves. Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13, what we'll see first is a foolish decision, a rash, foolish decision. 1 Samuel 13, a foolish decision. We'll start in verse 1. That's what it says. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it, uh, and all Israel heard it, said that it, Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offerings here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. So we'll stop there uh, for, for just a minute. I want you to look at verse 1. Verse 1 is, is one of those verses that's kind of hard to understand, but, but maybe it indicates that, hey, it wasn't very long before, before Saul's uh, train began to go off the tracks. Like the wheels start to come off. Uh, Saul hasn't, hasn't been very long since, since they asked for a king. It hasn't been very long since Saul became king. And uh, the people of God, or Saul himself, is starting to, to go wrong. We well, start to see in verse 2 some signs of hope. 
Jonathan. Jonathan's the hero. I want to go ahead and, and, and let, you, let you figure it out. Jonathan's the hero of everything that we're going to look at today. He is, humanly speaking, he is the one carrying out the Lord's commands. He is the one who is trusting God and taking risks and being a hero, being brave, uh, being noble. Uh, and he goes and attacks the Philistines. And he takes this garrison that is in the land, that is in the territory of Israel that the Philistines have been occupying. And he goes and takes this, this garrison, this, this man's uh, fortress area, and he goes and takes it. Only problem is, is that uh, the, the Philistines hear about it. And the Philistines are not going to let it go. They're not going to let their slaves, the Israelites, go. They're not going to let them go without a fight. Uh, they become a stench. And, and what, are the, what do the Israelites do? The Israelites go and find any kind of hole that they can find in. So all those things that are mentioned there, they're all holes in the ground. Cisterns, holes in the ground for holding water, uh, caves, rocks, anything that they can get under to go and hide from the Philistines, every man for himself. They're afraid. And even, even Saul. Saul has, has dispersed his army, the great army that was talked about in chapter 11. Well, he has, has narrowed it down to uh, 3,000 men. These are his recruited uh, or, or conscripted, possibly, uh, soldiers, his standing army. 2,000 of them are under his command. 1,000 are under Jonathan's command. And uh, they are there, but they are vastly outnumbered by the Philistines. You look at the Philistines, verses 5 through 7. I mean, look at these guys. There are, there are thousands of chariots. Kind of think of chariots as, as kind of like, uh, like the way we might think of tanks or some kind of armored vehicle uh, in our own day. These are, these are, this is technology uh, that, that is going to give them a great advantage in battle. To be able to have these chariots that can, that can ride after people, that can run over people. Uh, and these, this is the advantage that the, the Philistines have. Plus, they have all these thousands of horsemen. And that, then it comes to the infantry. Innumerable. Like the sands of the seashore. You, you can't even count them. Even, even somebody, even people in an agrarian society who are, who are good at counting head. You know, heads of sheep, heads of oxen, whatnot. whatnot. They cannot count all these people who are coming out against them. Well, look what happens. Saul, Saul's looking around. Saul had been commanded by Samuel in 1 Samuel 10, wait for me at Gilgal. Gilgal is a good place to, to meet up and form an army. That is where Joshua had launched his, his campaigns to the north and the south of Israel uh, to, to take, uh, to take the, the land that God had promised to the people of Israel. So this is a good place for, for Saul to launch his campaign. Samuel's going to meet him there. Samuel's going to do three things. He's going to offer the burnt offerings. These would be offerings that would be acts of, of devotion, of, of propitiating God's, uh, receiving God's favor, propitiating God's anger against sin, uh, acts of devotion to God. There would be peace offerings. These were ways of, of establishing that there was fellowship between the people of God uh, and, and his people uh, uh, and God himself. And Samuel was going to tell Saul what to do. You know, it's really advantageous to know what to do. Uh, as, as we go through 1 Samuel 13 and 14, you're going to see Saul does not know what to do. Let's look at why. He says, starting, starting after that, Saul sees everything that's happening, and he sees that this, this, there's this great big army coming, and the people who are with him are starting to leave. They're going to find holes. Some of them are even going back. They're finding the ways to get across the, the Jordan River, and they're going back to the east, uh, across to, their, across to the, the eastern uh, tribes of Israel, and they're, they're trying to get away, anything they can do to get away from the Philistines. Well, Saul sees this, and he says, makes a decision, all right, bring, bring the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, and we're going we're gonna to do this. He, he, he didn't come in the seven days that he said he would come. We've been waiting for him here. The Philistines have come out. We need to act now. The people are leaving. I mean, if any leader who knows anything knows that you need to do what you can to consolidate leadership to win people's confidence. So, so we need to get the burnt offerings and the peace offerings going here. And Saul takes the burnt offerings and he offers the burnt offerings. And before he can get to the next set of offerings, Samuel shows up. Look at what Samuel says. What have you done? And Saul's got his reasons. Just like we all have our reasons for not obeying God's word. 
He says uh, the people were starting to scatter. You didn't come. You, Samuel, it's your fault, Samuel. You, you, you caused me to do, it, to do it. You didn't come in the time allotted. I saw that the Philistines were coming. This big, huge army had to do something. Had to make a decision. And, and he put, kind of puts a pious spin on it. I hadn't even sought the Lord's favor yet. When we look at our circumstances, how, how often do we think that, that these circumstances call for us to disobey God's word? We're, we're at work. I, I think that work, our work life is one of the places where this often happens. We need success at work. All of us need to win bread for our families. All of us need to earn a living. And it is very easy in our work lives to say, listen, this is just one of those circumstances where I got to bend the rules a little bit. And you, you, bend, you bend your ethics and you act a little bit unjust. It's where one of the places where we're tempted. And we disobey God's word. And we wonder why we don't know what to do. It happens in our families. Uh, the, 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 the way that the Bible teaches us to teach and train our children, that, that, seems, that seems like it's not working sometimes. And so let's, let's, find, let's find some other things. I think we look at it with church life. How often... I think I think if I think if this is this is just speculation, but I think if you went into a lot of churches, you'd probably see a lot of people scattered if you began to restore a faithful ministry in that church. You'd see a lot of people leave. And the automatic response would be, how do we keep people from leaving? We come up with different ways. I don't think it is ever it is never right. To disobey God's word. It is never safe to indicate that you know a better plan than God's word. After that, Samuel says, but, and, and also look at what Saul says. I, I felt compelled. I, I forced myself. I, 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 uh, I was very reluctant to do this, but I had to come up with a way because of the circumstances. You're not forced to disobey God's word. God is able to strengthen you regardless of the temptation. He is able to strengthen you to bring you through every temptation. It is never right. It is never safe. It is never excusable to disobey God's commands. When Samuel says, if you had obeyed, then God would have established your kingdom forever. Saul's, Saul's kingdom would have been a dynasty. His sons and his sons after him would have ruled God's people forever and ever. But because he didn't, the kingdom will be taken away. His kingdom will not be established. This is, this is really picking up off the end of, verse, of chapter 12. In chapter 12, Samuel, in his parting address, says, if, if you, the people, and your king obey, then it will be well. If you, the people, and your king do not obey the command of the Lord, you and your king will be swept away. Saul is standing in a, in a, in a position very much like Adam was standing in. What, what, did, what was Adam given? He was given dominion over the, the birds of the air and the, the fish of the sea and over all the creatures and over all the land. And it was implied that if he obeyed God's command, that he would eat of the tree of life. But he did not obey God's commands. And so his dominion became corrupted. Saul stands in, in that same kind of line. If, you, if he obeys, the kingdom will go well and his kingdom will be eternal. But if he disobeys, his kingdom is doomed. What we need is a king who is not like Adam. A king who is not like Saul. A king who does not disobey God's word. Who does not look at circumstances. Who does not judge with worldly judgment. Does not look at the things that the, the way that the world wants things to go. But instead obeys God's command all the time. What, what did Jesus 
What did Jesus have before him? When Satan took him up on the mountain and said, if you bow down and worship me, all the kingdoms of the earth will be yours. Yours without the cross, without suffering, without rejection. And yet every time Jesus responded, he responded with the word of God. He obeyed the word of God. That is why Jesus reigned. His kingdom is eternal because he obeyed. And his obedience was not just for himself. It was for all those who would trust in him. All those who are in Adam and the disobedient act of Adam. All of us are counted or made sinners, the way Romans 5 puts it. We are counted before God to be sinners. We bear his, his guilt and his corruption. But in Jesus Christ, we are counted as righteous. We have his obedience counted as our own and we share in his life. We don't want to have a foolish king. We don't have a foolish king who brings us harm. When we turn to the gods of this world, to the kings of this world, to the champions of this world, to the ways of this world, to the things that we believe that the world promotes as the things that will be our safe haven, that will be our fortress, that will be our, our safe place. We are, we are chopping off our own feet and drinking poison. We are aligning ourselves with the foolish, empty things of this world. Let us believe the word of God. Let us believe in Jesus Christ, the obedient king. The last thing you see in verse 15 that's very significant. Samuel arose and went from Gilgal. Samuel left. We saw when Samuel, the, 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 the ark of Samuel's life, and God was, God was raising up another prophet. God was, there, there hadn't been a prophet or a vision in Israel for a long time. The word of God had been absent. But now Samuel is born. And Samuel begins to, to preach God's word. He begins to, to prophesy God's word. Everybody hears it. Not, not a single word that he prophesies fails to, to come to pass. Everything, nothing drops to the ground is the way the scriptures say it. Everything he says happens. Now that prophet who was there to tell Saul what to do leaves. You know, God wants to be gracious to any people. He gives them his word. What happens when people reject God's word? You end up with a famine of God's word. You end up with people who don't know what to do. Saul doesn't know what to do because he rejected the word of God. We'll kind of see that from here on out. Now, now the next part that we see, man, this is one of the, this is a great story. So my, I, I like, like of all the, lots of times when I'm reading through uh, the Bible and I read through Judges or I read through, reading through 1 Samuel, coming to someplace like 1 Samuel 14, I'm just like, of, of all the, of all the things that you wish you could kind of see a video of or a movie of or some, some cinematography or something you'd want to see, this happen, okay? So this is the next thing that we see after a foolish decision is a heroic attack. And there are three scenes here. So let's pick up in verse 16, or the middle of verse 15, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. It says, And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. And Saul and Jonathan his son and people who were present with him stayed in Geba of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in, in three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah to the land of Shul. Another company turned toward Beth Boron. And another company turned toward the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboim, toward the, toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening the axes and for setting the goads. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. What's important about these verses is you need to see just how bad it is. 
Remember, there are these, these thousands of charioteers and thousands of horsemen and innumerable infantry coming from the Philistines and uh, Saul starts out with 3,000 people, but a lot of them went and found the way across the Jordan River or went and found find a hole to stay in, and now he's down to 600 people and not only that, but they are, they are stuck in Geba. And what do the Philistines do? When they come in, they start to send out raiding parties. And when they send out raiding parties, they send them in every direction so that, so that Saul is surrounded. There, there aren't going to be any reinforcements coming for Saul. So he is, he is outmatched. He has uh, not only that, but the, the military technology is very much on the side of the Philistines. This is in the, in the beginning of the, the, what we would call the Iron Age. And the Philistines have iron. They have blacksmiths. They have, they have people who can, who can make swords and shields and spears with iron tips. Israelites don't have any of that stuff. In fact, to even, they, they don't even have the, they don't have what we would think of maybe as Americans, the right to bear arms. Like they don't, they don't have sword or spear. In fact, in order to get, even get their axes or, or their, or their, their plow tips sharpened, they have to go down and pay an exorbitant price to some Philistine blacksmith. So here they are, only two people in all Israel have a sword or a spear. That's Saul and Jonathan. They're surrounded. Thousands and thousands of, of Philistines on every side. Now then, if you, if you are a reader of the scriptures, what should you be thinking then? Well, if you're just looking at the, at the armies... Then you're thinking, oh, Israel's about to get a whooping. Worse, worse. They, they, we're, we're looking at the annihilation of the Israelite army. If you know the story of the Exodus, how the people of God were right up against the Red Sea, and how they had nothing, they had been slaves for 400 years, and how the army of the Pharaoh was rushing down on them, the, the, the leader of the most powerful superpower in the world at that time is rushing down on the people of Israel and about to destroy them. What do you know? You know that on that day, the Lord delivered the people of Israel. And they watched as Pharaoh's army was destroyed. You know, we should never lose hope. A, a, a person with the eyes of faith never looks at the size of the obstacles and goes, well, God can't do anything with this. God can't help us. God can't save us. Never. And that's exactly what we see in the next section there. Pick up in chapter 14. We'll read, the, we'll need, read verses 1 through 15. This is what it says. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go down to the, go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was saying the outskirts of Gibeah in, in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahijah, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know what Jonathan, well, that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan, Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other, Sinna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be the sign for us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison held Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and he will, we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. 
for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length and an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled, the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Well, Jonathan is the one who believes that God delivers. You wonder why Jonathan goes out to start the battle rather than Saul. But just like you see later on in, in, in the, the battle with Goliath, who's supposed to go out and fight Goliath? It's supposed to be Saul. Who goes out and fights Goliath? It's David, the one who has faith in God, the one who believes that God saves. Same with Jonathan here. Saul is sitting under the pomegranate tree, sitting by the pomegranates over there, and Jonathan comes up with the idea, I'm going to go and attack. And so he goes over and he goes through these, through these rocky crags, through these passes. Goes on up to the, to the Philistine garrison, says to, his, says to his armor bearer, hey, let's go see if we can, we can find, find some, some, some way to attack. Let's see if we can find a, a weak point. Let's see if we can find some, some foothold. And so they go, they go and find it. And they do not, they don't, this is not a sneak attack. It's not, it's not because of Jonathan's incredible military tactics that they end up winning the battle. You don't, you don't come out and say, hey, here we are. Let's, you don't show yourself. Like when you're two guys against, against hundreds or even thousands of men, you don't come out and say, hey, we're over here. But Jonathan says to his armor bearer, Let's, this is going to be the sign for us. If they tell us to, if they say, uh, We'll come down to you, we'll, we'll, we'll stay put, but if they say come up to us, that'll be the sign of the Lord. And this is what the Lord can do. Look at verse 6. This is something to remember. This is, this is a verse of a, of a verse to meditate on all this week. Think about this. He says, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Our God saves. And I think, I think Jonathan has the right approach to the Lord. He knows that the Lord is powerful to save. The Lord is powerful to deliver. He also says something along the lines of, not my will, but your will be done. He both, he both recognizes God's power and reverences God's freedom. God does whatever he wants to do. So it may be that the Lord will work for us. Whatever it is, we know that God can deliver. We know that God can save. And so he has this sign, and, and what do the Philistines do? They say, hey, come on up here. We'll show you a thing or two. Don't you love what Philistines say right before they get a, a rock right between the eyes? The, the scriptures are filled with stories. Almost all of those stories have somebody who acts proudly right before they fall. Do not be proud. Let us humble ourselves. God goes, shows grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. They say, come on up here, and we'll show you a thing or two. And so, I want you to catch the details. This is a rocky crag. They, it says they have to go up on their hands and feet. Any of you ever like, tried to climb a hill where it was so steep you had to get your, your on all fours? This is, they, they are not, they're not running through the plains or something. You know, I mean, they're, they are, they are climbing a rock. When they get to the, uh, uh, ordinarily you would be exhausted. What does Jonathan do? Jonathan says, come on behind me. And within like a football field or less, he struck down 20 people. Now, I, I like a lot of men. I like action movies. You know, I like I like to, I think, I think that when we watch action movies, like we're thinking, like I want to be that guy. Like I want to be Jason Bourne. I want to be Batman. I want to be Steven Seagal or something. I, I, I want to be the, the really good guy who, who just walks into the room with all the bad guys and bat, 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 and that's it. You know, they're, they're down. Now, Jonathan, he's, he's a soldier. He's probably a manly man. He is not a cinematic superhero. Why does he win? 
the Lord saves. It is the Lord who delivers. Jonathan has faith. We ought to imitate Jonathan's faith. He is a hero of faith. In fact, he, he, he demonstrates to us something of what, what, faith, what faith is able to do. This is, what, this is the kind of thing that I think Jesus is talking about when he says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea. And it will be thrown into the sea. That is the faith that is very, 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 very small. Is in a God who can do anything. Who can deliver by many or by few. Jonathan, and Jonathan is not... Jonathan is not a, you could read Jonathan as being kind of reckless. He's not reckless. He's not foolhardy. He just knows the Bible. He knows what the Bible, he knows what happened at the Red Sea. He knows what happened with, with Gideon where God intentionally reduced the size of Gideon's army so that, so that Gideon would not get the glory, but God would get the glory. God made a great name for himself by delivering Israel Without them lifting a finger. God brought glory to himself. By using a, a very small army. To save Israel. And here God is glorifying himself. God is, God is demonstrating his power to save. By using just two guys. Two guys. Who go on up and say. The Lord has delivered them into our hands. Let's not look at the world the way the world looks at the world. Let's not look at our circumstances the way that the world looks at circumstances. Let us not fear. Let's not be anxious. Let's not be faithless. Let's not look around and see, see that things are, are, things are bad personally, societally, ecclesiastically, the church. You know, let's, let's, not, let's not look around and think, hey, look at all the problems that there are in the world. How could they possibly be solved? How, how can we do anything? How could, how could God do anything for, for his people? Look at how small we are. The Lord delivers by many or by few. And though we, you know, we, this is a, this is a different, different covenantal structure here. That means... God has a covenant with the nation of Israel. It's a theocracy. And there is a legitimate holy war that Israel is engaging in here. God, God used Israel as an instrument to punish the wicked. The wicked nations who have bowed down to other gods. We'll participate in, in that same kind of thing. And yet God still delivers. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, God delivered us. And then he delivered us again. And yet he will still deliver us. And if we want to know language for deliverance, I, I just, I encourage you, read, read through the Psalms. Deliver, deliver, deliver me. God teaches us how to pray for deliverance. God teaches us to pray. And how small Jesus looked on the cross. How of little effect it looks on that day when Jesus is in the tomb. What did we read in Matthew 13? That the, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like a little piece of starter dough. And then it grows. Our God, our God is able to deliver. He is able to save Many times until Jesus returns, it will look very dark. It will look dark for us personally. It will look dark for us corporately. Let us never lose hope that the God of this world still saves. That our God who made this world, who created this world, and who redeems the world through his son, Jesus Christ, he is able to save. Let's look at the rest of the battle, verses 16 through 23. This is kind of our last scene here. And the watchmen of Saul and, and Gibeah of Benjamin looked... And behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see what has gone from us. See who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his own there were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. And the ark of God went at that time with the, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult and the cap of the Philistines increased more and more. 
So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his, against his fellows, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard, hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond beth Aden. Saul doesn't look good in this chapter. Saul, uh, so remember that Samuel had left Saul? Who replaces Samuel? It's this guy named Ahijah. And Ahijah is Ichabod's nephew, who is Phineas's son, who is Eli's grandson. Now, some of that, if you haven't, you haven't been with us in past weeks, that may not mean much to you. But Eli was a priest who was disgraced. Phineas, his son, was a sexually immoral, blasphemous, sacrilegious priest. His son, Ichabod, was born on the day that Phineas and Eli both died because of the judgment of God. That their house would no longer continue. Ichabod's name means where is the glory? Because the glory of God was leaving Israel because the ark of God had been captured. So who, who, who replaces Samuel, the true prophet of God? It's the line of the disgraced priest. The same way that, that the glory had left Israel, now the glory was leaving the kingdom of Saul. Not only that, but you see that the ark is there. The only other place where the ark is brought out into battle in 1 Samuel, it's not a good plan. Saul, the same way he has tried to manipulate God, he's tried to manipulate God before. He's manipulating God, hoping that, that the ark will act as kind of like this lucky rabbit's foot. That will get him through, get him through battle, give him victory. It's not happening. Still the Lord saves. All these people hiding in the holes. They come up out. Not only that, but all the traitors. All the Benedict Arnolds who had gone over to the side of the Philistines. Who had gone over, they, they're like, hey, if you, can't, if you can't beat the gang, then join the gang. They, they had gone over to the Philistines and they had been living with the Philistines and serving with the Philistines and prospering with the Philistines. Where are the reinforcements going to come from? Remember, Israel is surrounded. 600 guys can't beat Thousands of guys, unless God raises up these reinforcements up out of the holes. Makes you think of where, where made me think of where John the Baptist says, "Hey, God can God can make children of Abraham come out of these rocks if He wants to." You think you think the people of God are going to be small? You think on the day when Jesus Christ returns, there's only going to be a few? You know, sometimes it looks like it's few. But then there's the great multitude standing around the throne of the Lamb, all singing out, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and dominion and kingdom, honor forever and ever. God saves, that's the key point, verse 23, So the Lord saves Israel that day, and Israel passed beyond beth Aven. But you know, you can always snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. So let's read from verse, uh, verse 24 there to the end of the chapter. And that's where we'll see a troubling oath. It says, And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth. For the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Curse me the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies so they found uh, that they found. 
For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. But they struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, and the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, but the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar they built to the Lord. And then Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to all Israel, you shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people, Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, cast a lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey. And with the tip of the staff that was in my hand, here I am, I will die. And Saul said, God do so to me and more also, you shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan. So that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua. And the names of his two daughters were these. The names of the firstborn was Morab, and the name of the younger, Michael. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahamayaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. Well, the, the Israelites are chasing after the enemy. Enemy. It was, it was almost like Israel was going to be annihilated. The army of Israel was going to be annihilated. Now, this is the chance for Israel to be done with the Philistines once and for all. This is the chance for, for Israel to go after their enemies and to completely do away with those who had troubled Israel in the past. But Saul makes note. Remember, Saul doesn't know what to do. He doesn't have anybody to tell him what to do. He doesn't have the word of God. And so he adds to the word of God something that was never there in the law. It was never, it was never commanded, certainly, that the army would fast while it was in the middle of a campaign. While, while their caloric demands were highest, Saul said, don't eat. Cursed be everyone who eats. And they run into the forest. That's where, the, that's where it takes them, into the forest. The honey's on the ground. Honey's right there to be had. Jonathan didn't hear the news. Remember, he was out fighting the battles while everybody else was sitting under pomegranate trees. And uh, he sticks out his, the tip of his staff and takes some of the honey. And he says, his, his eyes brighten. He immediately is, is you know, it's like, like Israelite Gatorade. I mean, immediately his, his electrolyte balances are back there and he's got this, he's got this gel that he just took and, and he's ready to go. And then some soldier says, your dad said, don't eat. What is, what is Jonathan? Jonathan's the hero. Jonathan's the one who had faith. Jonathan's the one who, who went out and had faith in God and, and led the charge. He says, 
My father has surely troubled Israel today. Fools are always troubled. The Philistines were the ones who had troubled Israel. Now Saul is the one who is the troubler of Israel. And they keep going and they, they keep going. And, and not only has Saul sinned, but he causes the people of God to sin. At the end of the day, they're so hungry. I mean, they, they have been chasing Philistines all day long. Through rocky crags, through the woods, through the forest. And so they, they, they find the livestock and they, they lay it down on the ground instead of suspending it or, or putting it up so that the blood would drain, which was the way that they, they ritually had to do it. They throw it down on the ground. They start bushing them right there on the ground. They start eating right there on the ground. They start to defile themselves. It's, Saul is the leader, so he's the representative. He's not only the representative, he's also the example. He not only leads the people into danger, but he causes people to choose danger for themselves. Think of the way Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, Jesus is our representative so that we are righteous before God because of his obedience. And it is because that he is life itself that his life begins to live in us by his spirit. Saul has just the opposite effect. Every place he goes, he's hurting people. He's troubling people. He tries to make it right. Uh, he says, I'm going to inquire of God to see if after I should go after the Philistines. But he doesn't have the word of God with him. He has rejected the word of God. The priest says, the priest says, hey, hey, we, let, let's, let's go to God. Let's see what God has to say. No answer. He rejected the word of God. And so when he needed the word of God, it wasn't to be found. How, what, what a dangerous place we're in when we fail to live by God's word. When so he, he says there must be sin in the camp. That's why, that's why God didn't answer me. So let's, uh, let's cast lots. This is a kind of sacred lots. The sacred, okay, there's like the sacred coin that they're going to flip. If it shows Urim, if it shows heads, then it's going to be the people. If it shows, if it's uh, Saul and Jonathan's house, it's going to go tails and, and they flip it and they, it, it shows that it's in Saul and Jonathan. And then they choose between Saul and Jonathan. It comes up Jonathan and Jonathan, Jonathan is, is, is says, I'm, I'm, here I am. I'm ready to die. I took the honey. And the people who haven't said much up to this point, they say, this cannot be. Because of his foolish oath, Saul was ready to sacrifice his own son. There's another guy uh, in, in Judges. Jephthah sacrificed his daughter because of a foolish vow. Saul is just like those old judges, those old wicked judges, the ones who turned away from God, the ones who made foolish vows, the ones who made foolish decisions. Jonathan gets saved that day. But what happens to the Philistines? The Philistines live to fight again another day. They're going to continue to trouble Israel for a long time. And then you look at, look at the summary of of Saul's reign, verses 47 through 52. That's kind of the summary of, of Saul's whole, his whole kingdom. And I want you to notice, Saul is very successful. Every, every, in every direction. You, you see, he goes through all these people groups that Saul has, has defended the people against. You can basically go by the compass. He defeats the people to the north, to the northeast, to the east, to the southeast, to the south, to the to the southwest, to the to the west, to the northwest, he defeat, and everywhere, all the way around, Saul wins. Not only that, but he's carrying out what Samuel, what, what Samuel had said a king would do. He's he's going throughout whenever he sees a strong or valiant man, he conscripts him or recruits him or brings him into the army. He's got a big army full of big valiant men. He's defeated all the enemies of Israel. In the world's eyes, this is a successful rule. That is not the judgment of God. Let that be a warning to all of us. The things that look like they are successful in this world, 
They receive the praise and the applause of this world. They receive the endorsements of this world. Do not take for granted that God says the same thing. You know what God honors? God honors humility. God honors obedience to his word. God honors faith. God honors the belief that God can deliver, whether it be by many or by few. If we want to know, if we think of, of all of us standing before God one day to answer for what we have done in the body, whether good or evil, do you want God honors on that day? The kinds of works that he approves of? It's, it's not all the things that the world approves of. It's not, all the, it's not all the riches. It's not all the power. It's not all the influence. It's not all the success. In Christ, God honors those things that are obedient to his word. Let us believe that God saves. And let us obey God's word. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for the mighty victories that you have worked for your people in all times. And most of all, thank you for the victory over sin and death and the grave that you have worked by Jesus Christ. Thank you that we serve a faithful, all-wise king and a faithful, all-wise God. We thank you, Lord, for all of your mercy and your grace. Please forgive us of our iniquities and heal our diseases, redeem us from the pit and crown us with steadfast love and mercy. It is your goodness that we desire. It is your power that we rely on. Help us to turn from all the empty things of this world, all the empty idols, all the empty champions, all the empty kings, all the, all the, the promises that, that this world makes that, that in the end they are false. In the end they will be swept away. Instead, help us to build our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ, on him and his word, and to stand in the day of his return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.